The following program is a rebroadcast. That's right. Law and Gospel. I'm Tom Baker by myself today. And it is March, the, I'm sorry, May the 15th in the year of our Lord, 2017. What happened to March and April? I, I don't know. Pretty soon we're getting ready for Christmas. Hope you had a great Mother's Day uh, yesterday. Yeah, we went out to uh, eat, uh, the whole family, grandkids and all. Had a wonderful time, and it was an opportunity to, we had three mothers at the table. Well, one was my daughter, a daughter-in-law, and of course, my wife, and uh, just really enjoyed ourselves. Today is a Monday, which means we kind of look at the readings for the following Sunday, the sixth Sunday of Easter. The one I want to look at is Acts chapter 17. While Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. Yes, Athens, that Greek town, there's no doubt that he was not happy with what he saw. Athens had uh, many statues and temples, and the most prominent one was Athena, that is patron goddess of the city. And the temple was Parthenon. You can understand how Paul would be upset with that. Kind of reminds me not long ago I was listening to a sermon. And I was upset with the preacher. Because I knew he had done something contrary to the word of God. And it really didn't matter much what he was saying because it was kind of going over my head, because how could he say these things and have done what he had done? This is kind of the feeling, I'm sure, of Paul in Athens. All these people listening to idols that do not exist, hearing teachings that have no reality to them. So what does he do? He goes to the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and every day in the marketplace with ho those who happen to be there. So Paul was kind of a street preacher. Now, the fact that there was a synagogue in Athens meant that there were Jews there. So some of the people probably knew uh, the Old Testament. But we're going to find out they never really had yet heard about Jesus and the resurrection. So, next verse. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. The philosophical fame of Athens is very well known. Epicureanism... It, it spoke about having a life full of pleasure, though not merely in a sensual way. Stoicism, 
it kind of emphasized the natural order of nature and urged people to accept their fate in it. And they were the most popular Greek philosophies of the day. Now, when they were hearing with, uh, what Paul was saying, they say, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities. And then it gives a reason. Because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. Now, wait a minute. How did they figure that that was foreign divinities? See, that's a plural. Jesus is only one individual. So what do they mean that he was preaching foreign divinities? Well, and I'm taking a look here at verse 18. The fact of the matter is, they thought they were t- he was talking about two people. One was Jesus, who he said was divine. And then when he talked about the resurrection, they had a goddess named Anastasia, which is Greek for the resurrection. So when they heard that he was talking about Jesus and the resurrection, they jumped to the conclusion that he was talking about these two divinities who are foreign to them. This was the heart, really, of Paul's message. But, of course, when he said the word resurrection, he wasn't talking about Anastasia, a Greek goddess. He was talking about Jesus and his resurrection from the dead. Now, these people were still interested to hear what Paul had to say. And it says they took hold of him and brought him to the Areopagus. Areopagus, that's literally the hill of Ares. A-R-E-S. Uh, Ares was a Greek god also of war linked with Mars by the Romans. And that's why it's often called Mars Hill. Early in the history of Athens, the citizens would meet there at the Areopagus in order to govern the city. And pretty soon, that came to describe the city council. They were the Areopagus. So, here Paul is speaking to them, and he is saying the following. Now, before I get to that, it says in verse 21, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. You know, that's why people go to college. When you go to college, you hear things new that you don't know about. And you're being prepared. Well, in the old days, you were being prepared for jobs you would have. Uh, Today, I'm having a final uh, confirmation class with the parochial school kids, and we're having a party. And one of the videos I'm going to show them is the the fantastic speed in which the Internet and computers are changing people's lives. One of the points they make, if somebody goes to a four-year school uh, to learn a certain subject, by the time they're in their third year, the first year of what they uh, learned is out of date. 
and it's really it's just got facts after facts how fast uh the the future is coming toward us and it's it's really difficult to you know do a job uh, somebody was saying that right now in 10 years 30% of the jobs that now exist will no longer be available so this is a tough thing to know what school to go to what to learn etc anyway they love to hear something new so paul said men of athens i perceive that in every way you are very religious now, this is really a good statement to keep in mind because religious doesn't mean Christian. Now, there are people who are religious who are Christian, but religious and religion is a far greater concept than just Christianity. I mean, how many times have I said on this program there are only two religions in the world, Christianity and everything else? And the point I always make there from a law gospel perspective is that everything else is legalistic. That is, your works make a difference in regard to your future. So Paul is saying, well, you're very religious. And then he said, and I find that as I go along here, I observe all kinds of objects of your worship. Remember, there are a number of temples or statues, this sort of thing. Then he says, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. To the unknown God. This altar was built because even though the Greeks had many gods, they didn't want to have any significant God missed out on. And therefore, they had a altar to the unknown God. And by the way, even outside the Bible, that altar is mentioned. That would be the, the God that they hadn't thought of yet or hadn't given a name to, and maybe a God over other things that they were unaware of. But they wanted to protect themselves, so they had an altar to the unknown God. Now, Paul says, what therefore you worship as unknown this I proclaim to you. You know, that's a great statement. Because unlike every other religion in the world that comes from the imagination of human beings, Christianity is the only religion truly revealed by God. Now, how do we know this? Well, take a look at any other religion and you will find that the God that they have invented has basically the same personality and characters of the people who invented him. In other words, he's in sync with their understanding of life, with their lifestyles, with their commandments, unlike the true Christian God, who reveals himself to people who are totally ignorant of how he is like. I'll give you a very simple example. I cannot find a God of any other religion that is not a God of justice. In this sense, that he desires to give people what they deserve. And so every religion helps people to understand, here's what God wants you to do. And therefore, if you do this, you will 
get many benefits, many blessings. I even hear this among Christians. You know, this is the great benefits that you have if you will only obey God. But the true God who has revealed himself gives benefits to those who don't deserve them. This is why, unlike being a God of justice in the sense of giving you what you deserve, he is a God of mercy in not giving you what you deserve. And then he's a God of grace in giving you what you do not deserve. So rather than deserving eternal damnation due to your sin, he doesn't do that. And he gives you that which you don't deserve, the forgiveness of sins. You see, you do nothing to receive the gift of the forgiveness of sins. One of the times that Jesus expressed it was on the cross. To what people was he referring? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Not to those who are repentant, but to those who were crucifying him, who were mocking him, who were causing him great pain. Then, uh, then also, the very first night of the resurrection, he appears to the disciples, all whom had fled from him in the Garden of Gethsemane. Peter had denied him three times. Does he give them what they deserve? The first words out of Jesus' mouth, mouth peace be with you. A peace between God the Father and you. Now, how did that come about? What did the disciples do to earn that peace? They did nothing. It was a gift. And it was all because of the cross of Christ. That cross of Christ that the Emmaus disciples on that road with the Bible study with Jesus had no understanding of. See, this is what got them all confused. Why did Jesus die on the cross? On Palm Sunday, we were looking forward to him coming into Jerusalem, maybe getting rid of the Romans, restoring Israel to its former grandeur. And instead, a few days later, he's put into a grave. What a failure. What a mistake by God. We're going to go hide in an upper room. Even when they believed that he rose from the dead. They still went and hid. Why? Because something had occurred that made no sense to them. And that was the crucifixion. If you listen to what Jesus says to the Emmaus disciples as he's going through the Old Testament. Foolish ones, he calls them. Was it not necessary that the crucifixion had to take place? See, they hadn't realized that. So when Jesus brought them to proper faith, he explained to them on the basis of Scripture the necessity of the crucifixion. Genesis 3.15, Psalm 22, Isaiah 53. In fact, recently at Trinity Orchard Farm, we went through over 300 passages of the Old Testament, all referring to Jesus. You see, just knowing the Old Testament doesn't save anybody. You can know all the facts of the Bible, all the events of the Bible. You can know, you can have memorized the parables. You can tell all about the miracles, and you're still not saved 
because you don't interpret them properly. How anybody can read the Bible and end up with a notion that your works make a difference in salvation is beyond me. In an hour and a half, I will be preaching a memorial funeral service. And we're going to be talking about that the person who has died is not going to be judged on the basis of her works. Even though every other religion in the world says that. But she's going to be based on the, on the basis of God's works in Jesus Christ. And we're going to explain that in the sermon. The comfort we're going to receive is not because we have a list of wonderful things she did while she was here on earth, but because we have a list of wonderful things that Jesus did while he was here on earth, including her salvation. See, this is how you properly interpret the scriptures. By, remember that last week I was talking about the cooking analogy If you read the ingredients for a recipe, a lot of times you can't figure out what's being made. You have to read the instructions. So knowing the ingredients of the Bible really doesn't save anybody. You can have the Bible memorized and still not be saved, as were some scribes and Pharisees at the time of Jesus. So when Jesus came into earth and began preaching... Even though they knew the Old Testament ingredients, they crucified him because they didn't know the meaning of those ingredients. How can a carpenter from Nazareth be our savior? So what does Paul do? He takes what they refer to as a statue to the unknown God with an altar, and he begins to explain who that unknown God is. He talks about the God who made the world and everything in it. He's Lord of heaven and earth. And he does not live in temples made by man. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Because he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. You see, they had gods that had needs. And a proper worshiper would give the God what he needs. But in Christianity, God doesn't need anything. (laughs) Why? Because everything that we have, including our life and breath and all our possessions, he has given to us. And then, verse 26. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet, he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, and even some of your own poets have said, we are indeed his offspring. You see, What Paul is doing is taking portions of what they do believe and using them on the basis of the Old Testament passages to refer to the true God that still remains unknown to them. 
Then he says, being then God's offspring, and he's talking to human beings. We ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. See, there there it was. I had already used that all other religions come from the imagination of man. But stop and think about this. Moses has taken a long time coming down from Mount Sinai. So what do the people do? They build a golden calf. They don't even use a real calf. It's a golden calf. It, it can't move. It can't talk. And they say that is their God? Paul refers to that in verse 30 as that is a time of ignorance. But now God is commanding all people everywhere to repent. Now, this now moves the theology from worshiping idols and this kind of thing to an acknowledgement that we are poor, miserable sinners deserving nothing but temporal and eternal punishment. See, this is the message of Christianity. The goal of any religion is not to give God what he needs because God doesn't need anything. The goal of every religion is not to do good works before God in order that we might earn our way to heaven. No, the goal of the true Christian religion is first of all to repent of our sins. And what is repentance? It not only includes contrition over sin, but also faith in Jesus Christ as our Redeemer. And, and that's why Paul needs to preach what he's preaching. He talks about that, guess what? There's a day coming in which God will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all, and here it comes, by raising him from the dead. So we see here what Paul is here is saying to them. He he is helping them understand that when he talked about the resurrection, he's not talking about Anastasia, a, a Greek goddess, translated as resurrection. He's talking about the actual resurrection of this man from the dead. Now, what was the response? This, by the way, goes beyond the reading for the day. But verse 32 of chapter 17 of Acts, Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. Well, that's expected. This is ridiculous. How can somebody be raised from the dead? But others said, we will hear you again about this. Wow. The fact of the matter is that the Holy Spirit had pricked their conscience. They probably realized that they were not worthy to be saved. And they wanted to hear more about this man who is raised from the dead. So Paul went out from their midst, but now listen to verse 34. But some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysius the Arapagite, and a woman named Damarius, and others with them. 
Dionysius was therefore the first named convert in Athens. Now, tradition outside of the Bible says that he became a church leader there. And the woman named Damaris, she also uh, became somewhat of a female convert and a leader in the church. Now, if, if you don't think that women can be leaders, what you need to do is attend one of Trinity Orchard Farm's uh, women's meeting. Not only are they very good theologians, and I can understand that after 30 years with Pastor Gaunt, who took a call last summer, but they also have a, a good sense of how a church should be run and this sort of thing. And I'm sure many of them tell their husbands or their elders about that. And I, I hear similar thoughts in those meetings because God does give the Holy Spirit to men and women. All that Paul said was he needed to repent. And then the second thing he said is that Jesus has risen from the dead. You see, this is how the word saves. The Holy Spirit can take that word and create faith in the heart of an unbeliever. I know no other way that anybody comes to faith except from hearing the word of God. And that word of God is called the means of grace. Well, what does that mean? Well, Jesus Christ died on the cross. He graciously forgave our sins. But how do we get that means of grace? We get it through hearing the word of God, through baptism, and through the Lord's Supper. And that's going to be the assurance of those who are coming to the memorial service in, well, about an hour, in order to give them the greatest comfort they can ever hear, that the means of grace came to their loved one, who now is with Jesus in heaven. On tomorrow's Long Gospel, Mark Smith will be here, and we'll be examining a hymn for the sixth Sunday of Easter. You know, we're almost out of the season of Easter. We're going to be moving into Ascension, Pentecost, and then the Sundays after Pentecost. I'm Tom Baker. Thanks so much for listening to Law and Gospel. God bless. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 930 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.